Hello, Dr. Sam. Hello, Mr. Sam. Uh, I watched a movie um, recently that I think is pertinent to our discussion of Percy Jackson. Um, I watched a, a, a classic film in which a young hero thwarts the bad guys in New York, all while based out of the Plaza Hotel. And no, I'm not talking about Percy Jackson and the demigods. I am, of course, talking about Kevin McAllister uh, in the 1992 classic Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. Did it have the Donald Trump scene cut out of it? No, the Donald Trump scene is still in Home Alone 2. Uh, less than anyone were, you can watch it on Amazon Prime uh, if you have if you have a Stars subscription. So, uh, you know. Um, hurry over there and and watch uh, uh, this this classic Christmas film. Um, I just thought it was funny uh, that this week, uh, as we were reading the Last Olympian, I had two different pieces of media uh, where the Plaza Hotel featured prominently, and I thought it was worth bringing up. Have you seen Home Alone too, Sam? I have. Uh, it's been a long time. I've seen the, uh, the there was like a new Home Alone. Home, yes. home, sweet home, alone, or something like that. They came out a couple of years ago. Uh, my son likes that, so we watched that. I've seen that five times for every one time I've seen Home Alone two. But it's on the list, and I have Home Alone, the first home, the original, the OG Home Alone, on my uh, once I get my grades in watching TV list because after our discussion about the. Uh, you know the 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 score done by John Williams and the similarities to um, some of the Harry Potter music. Um, I have you know like a in in an intellectually driven academic interest in watching Home Alone. Well, if you if you follow uh, the precedent that my wife and I has have set, you can watch Home Alone one and then Home Alone two back to back in a double feature. It's an excellent uh, pizza movie night around the holidays. Uh, and listener, I can't recommend it more. I'm just afraid, though, that you, I mean, you don't have kids. I have one. I have a six year old and a nearly three year old, and they are palling around like a bunch of demon people. I'm just afraid that I'm going to like, you know, try to head up my stairs one day and like a paint can is going to like swing down <laughs> and like destroy me. Uh, that's that's sort of my fear with Home Alone. But, uh, you know. We'll get over it, and uh, I think we'll probably do just that. That's fair. I mean, as a kid, I feel like kids are fascinated with traps and all of this. As a kid, I was really into Swiss Family Robinson. Oh, if you ever me saw too. that old, that oh, old, I love old Disney film. I love it. Love it. Um, so, you know, I think I think there's something that kids love about it, and hopefully you survive any traps that your own children set. Yeah, well, hopefully. And if I don't, then I guess that's natural selection for you. <laughs> All I've right. got, oh, yeah, I've go got one one more question. One more while we're on yeah. the topic of Christmas movies. I guess I have three questions. Uh Die Hard Christmas movie. You know, part of me says yes, but also in my heart, I know actually, actually it's it's no. But I do I love watching a Christmas movie. You know what I say? If it brings you joy at the holidays, it's a holiday movie. It does. Well, I think I was. Well, I I won't ask my follow up questions. I'll just tell you what I think. Uh, die Hard. I think the first two diehards are clearly Christmas. I mean, they're set at Christmas time, um, and you know, you get such lines like "Ho ho ho!" Now I have a machine gun, right? Which is what's more Christmassy than that? But my controversial take is that Die Hard Three, which is set over the Fourth of July weekend, also a Christmas movie. Listen, I'll tell you, my my wife and I, our first unofficial date was watching Die Hard Three, uh, in London, England. Uh, wow. So you know, <laughs> and that and that's when you knew that you had found your soulmate. Exactly, exactly. All right, now on to the podcast. Cue the music.
Welcome to the All Roads Podcast, where two classicists gush over their favorite ancient Greek and Roman texts while pretending to discuss a beloved book series from the early 2000s. We're your hosts, Sam Hahn. And I'm Dr. Sam Kindig. And today we're talking about the fifth, but no longer final book of the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series, The Last Olympian, which was published back in 2009. Um, now, of course, Rick Riordan has published a sixth book in the series, uh, but this was the original ending um, uh, for our time with Percy Jackson, Annabeth Grover, and the whole gang. Uh, Sam, what do you think of this book? Didn't really like it. Yeah. What? What? what I, I'm speak more on that. I don't know. It's a as as sort of a culmination of the series. I mean, I didn't really like the ending, you know, the, the, all the stuff about, you know, how Percy was like, is like offered immortality and he turns it down. And I don't like anything about the Annabeth or like, I don't, I just don't like I, nothing. I didn't like anything at the end of the book. And I think I was thinking about sort of the, the whole sort of arc of the book. I mean, there's his, book five four five yeah this is book five book five um we've read them so quickly it it sort of i forgot how many there were um this is book five and i don't know i think just the nature of this series and maybe you know you want to dig into this a little bit more as we go through the episode it just feels so short i mean there, there there's a lot of jump cuts kind of there's not like you know, like we're doing something, then like boom, all of a sudden we're like sneaking around at like Luke's house. And then, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's I kind of wish I kind of wish it was longer just to like sort of connect things a little bit more and like mm-hmm. explore certain because there's a lot of complexities that are sort of revealed in the last couple books. I kind of wish it was longer, um, but I also kind of wish it was shorter. Uh, if that makes yeah. sense. No, I, I feel that. I feel that. And, and I and I'm with you on the ending. It feels like the ending was too uncomplicated for all of the things that get introduced in like kind of the last two books. Um, and yeah, this you know, I was talking to my wife about this. In that, there's a lot of battle sequences in this book, which can be for me in kind of a written format a little bit tiresome to read and try and track, you know, these long battles. And there are just a lot of those in this book, which I think makes it feel extra long. I'm a, I'm a, you know, lover of the Iliad and we'll talk about the Iliad uh, in this book, but you know, my least favorite parts kind of of the Iliad are a lot of the books where it's just people fighting. Right. I love the overarching, you know, narrative of the Iliad and the arcs that it goes through, but the battle you know, the books with battles in them in the Iliad are kind of boring to read. And I feel like there's a lot of this in this book. So it just feels really long, really tiring. And so these kind of important character moments, yeah, I feel like do kind of feel shoehorned in a little bit at times and abrupt at times. Um, So I completely agree with you on that front. I, you know, as we've read this series, we've talked a lot about, you know, Luke, and his motivations and his critique of the gods. And I was really excited when I started this book because Percy actually starts to understand the critique of the Olympians in this book really for the first time, which I found kind of, you know, it was kind of surprising to me that he didn't get it any other time, you know, in the previous book, you know, Ethan Nakamura has, you know, his complaints and Percy doesn't understand those complaints. But in this one, he finally understands, oh, there are these gods and they've really done bad things to their kids. And maybe there is a bit of a point to what Luke is after in this critique of, of Olympus. And, you know, in our previous discussion of book four, you know, I posited maybe there's going to be kind of a big shift in the status quo. Like maybe that's what's leading this is leading us to. And I was very disappointed because I feel like Percy got the critique and there wasn't actually a big shift in the end. Um, there's a minor shift in Percy's final wish, right? 
but I was, I was kind of disappointed at this where we actually get a real critique. Uh, and then it all kind of gets papered over at the end of this book. Yeah. And there's that, that one line um, towards the end of the book when uh, Percy is talking to Annabeth and, you know, he brings up, Percy brings up the the fact that he thought about, you know, he was tempted um, to become immortal. Uh, and he says, you know, Annabeth is like, yeah, you, you so wanted to. And Percy said, well, maybe a little, but I didn't because I thought I didn't want things to say the same for eternity because things could always get better. And then there's like this, you know, romantic moment. But right. I mean, what's he saying there, right? He doesn't want things to stay the same for eternity because things could get better. Is that like, is he sort of latching onto this idea that if he didn't, if he became a God, which would sort of by definition be change, there's no chance of improvement, but he thinks that if he does not become a God, his life might improve. Is that sort of the sense? I mean, it's it's more about him and his personal relationships than it is about sort of the challenging the status quo. Right. It, and, you know, there's that also that moment when he's like, you know, talking with uh, Mr. D in that West Virginia bar where he's playing Pac-Man and, and yeah. Mr. D is basically like, you know, if we go all of the good stuff that people love, like art and music and video games also disappear if the gods go away, which again, again, A, ignores any sort of, you know, music that's outside of, you know, the what you know, what we can traditionally consider the West and whatnot and sure. the art that's outside of the West and whatnot. But it just felt like, it felt like the, the book was like, there are real critiques of the gods but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater uh, sort of ending. And and I felt like that was a little bit, I don't know. I, I wish that there had been kind of a stronger statement at the end um, around this whole topic. Um, Cause also there is this kind of like sheepish, the gods being like, yeah, we kind of did screw up by ignoring our children for all of this time. So I guess you will, will be okay if you force us to actually like, care about our children and care about the minor gods and like give them a place and acknowledgement and whatnot. And there's not really much of a wrestling with their actions in the past. Right. It's kind of like this, just like acceptance being like, well, you know, we swore on the stick, so I guess you'll get your wish. Like we're not happy about it, but maybe it's for the best. Like I, I, I kind of wanted to see more of a change. Um, Cause I really felt like the, the series was a little bit building toward this. Like, how do we actually, you know, answer kind of the question that was posed in the first book? Like, why does all of this matter? Um, right. Like this defense of the, the, the classics and whatnot. And it's like, well, like we like this stuff, so we can make some like minor tweaks and whatnot. And it's fine, which, you know, I, I don't know. I, I felt dissatisfied with um, in this book among other things. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's a good point and it sort of speaks, maybe this is part of my dissatisfaction with not only the sort of the ending and I think your, your dissatisfaction with the way it, there, there's no change, but also I think the way that at times the story feels shallow, um, sure. just because it's not, you know, when you're dealing with something as heavy as like, these are the gods who, you know, and, 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 and there's like this battle for the, like, in some ways, the survival of, well, certainly of the world as we, we know it, but maybe if we see the, the, you know, the, the people of Saturn's golden age being sort of distinct from humans, I mean, this is at the end of humanity. Like, I mean, they're, they're big stuff at stake, but I guess I don't have a good sense for how, this series, how uncle Rick sort of conceives of these gods. Um, and you know, it's, it's Greek mythology and the connections with Greek religion and Greek philosophy are very complicated. And of course we have the benefit of sitting on the shoulders of giants, uh, who have been analyzing this stuff for essentially 3000 years, right? Cause the Greeks were analyzing right. and thinking about this stuff, but you know, so in, 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 as I understand it, in Greek mythology, I mean, these gods 
are both they can be represented as, as anthropomorphic gods, but they're also sort of concepts. They're also physical things. So, you know, Oceanus, you know, is in a sense, the ocean. Um, Aphrodite is, you know, the, the feeling of lust, right? Not just a woman who in this series is very vain. Um, right. Walking around. And so I guess I don't know if in this series, is you know do we have the same sort of connection with just the natural world and with sort of abstract concepts or is it only just sort of metamorphic and so this is sort of a long way of coming back to your point about that scene with Dionysus right for the Greeks if the gods go away I think things do go away if Aphrodite goes away there is no lust but that's but Aphrodite can't go away because Aphrodite is a feeling, right? Hmm. So if the idea that, you know, if the gods went away, there would be no art. I mean, it's problematic, as you say, because it's, you know, it's a very Western centric thing, but it's not possible for the gods to go away in a Greek sort of conception. Right. And, you know, also there are, you know, four or five or 27 because he's super prolific other series that Rick has written that are sort of similar things. And there's a whole set, this whole second um, Percy Jackson series was seven immortals. Um, so I think there's more world building that you and I are not expert on. Sure. But I, I guess I just to- don't understand. And I'd be curious to look at the sort of the Norse God series or the Egyptian God series, how those gods are sort of compatible with these Greek gods, right? If Dionysus goes away, does wine go away? Does partying go away only in the West? Um, is there still a, is there like an Egyptian party God? Is there like a, a Norse party God that are, you know, only sort of have jurisdiction over those geographies? It's, 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 you know, it, it just feels, it's not fully fleshed out. And I don't totally understand the, I guess the sort of divine physics of this world. Sure. You want some Aristotelian uh, teasing out of these sorts of things. Uh, this is some, this is some over analyze, over analysis. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that's just why it's, 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 it's hard to engage with something as complex as ancient mythology because it's not, yeah. it's, it's not just a set of stories, right? It's a set of it's evolving concepts that are, you know, again, they're philosophical, they're, you know, they go into sort of natural sciences, religion. Right. I think the thing that also, you know, I think you're, that's your point is well made that it's really hard to do this well. And there, there are times when uh, Rick Riordan really succeeds in doing that and other places where he, we feel like he falls short, but even, you know, ignoring, you know, the canon of, of classical, you know, texts and tradition and whatnot. I also feel confused a little bit about the world in which he is created. Like are his characters responding to the actual world that they are being presented with? Like I think about the moment where like at the end of this book, where they're running to the throne room of Olympus and, you know, things are crashing down and like this statue of Hera is coming down, you know, and Thalia like, pushes Annabeth out of the way and gets, you know, kind of crushed um, underneath this statue of Hera. And Annabeth is like, why is Hera trying to kill me in this moment? Um, And I think that's a great question. Like, and why are they like, again, to, again, I, I keep coming back to the status quo. Like they're trying to save Olympus and Hera's still like, I hate this daughter of Athena. Let me try and kill her as she's trying to rescue Olympus. And everyone's like, you know what? It would just be great if y'all treated us just a little bit better. Like, and be like, really? Like this, the gods were still fighting with you as you're trying to save their legacy. Like it it feels, it just feels kind of incongruous to me. Like, I I don't know. It just feels like the reaction of Percy and the other demigods are like, we got what we wanted. Like Harrow's trying to kill us in this last moment, but that's okay. Like we forgive, like, I don't know. It felt very weird to me where like, there's a lot of unearned reconciliation, I think at the end of this book. Um, Yeah. Kind of the thing with like Hermes where it's like, yeah, like I didn't, 
I knew my son was going to be bad, but then he was going to, you know, turn out good in the end. And I feel guilty that I wasn't there for them, him. And, you know, Percy's like, that's okay. I get it. And I was like, isn't that in direct contradiction to what you just said about like, you should like acknowledge your children and like be with them. And then Hermes is like, well, like I can't influence fate. So I couldn't tell him, oh, you're going to turn out bad, but then you're going to turn out good. And this could be fine because it would have, it wouldn't have mattered slash maybe it would have made things work. Like I I felt like that at the end was also just kind of like trying to give Hermes this moment where it's like, it's okay that he sucked as a dad and he, you know, and Luke, uh, you know, I don't know. At the end, Percy's like, you know, I'm sure he loved you. And I was like, did Luke love no, Hermes? He like, 100%. Right, it's, it's like this weird, I, I don't know. He loved Annabeth. He loved Annabeth. Yeah. And then of course, Annabeth's like, I never loved you. Uh, I loved you as a brother. And I was like, that's weird. I don't buy that either. I don't, like the whole rom- yep. the romance at the end of this book really threw me off. Again, listeners may remember at the end of the book, I thought he's not going to get with Annabeth. Maybe Aunt Luke is saved and Annabeth and Luke are a thing, you know, but like, I was like, oh, Percy and Rachel are a thing. And then that ends in such a weird way too. Um, I don't know. I was, di- I was very disappointed by the ending of this book too. Yeah, wow. and and so I mean, so Hades knew what was going to happen, right? Did all the gods know what was going to happen? Like because it was fated, but they like it wasn't just like we know the prophecy and there's a hero. They you know at least Hermes specifically knew it was Luke, and they knew he was going to do the right thing, but they couldn't tell him. But like, could they tell each other? Right? Were they? Were they concerned about like Typhon? Like, was this like, are they just going through the motions because you can't change prophecy? But they knew, like, what's the point of a prophecy if you understand like what it means? Well, I also don't understand how they understood the prophecy because the prophecy is wild and gets resolved in the craziest. Like, it's like, oh, you're not the hero. It is weird. It's like a prophecy about Percy, but it's Percy empowering Luke to save the day. Kind again, I don't know. The you know the reclamation of Luke at the end is weird too. It's like oh he defeated Kronos, but it's like yeah, but also he completely empowered him. So like I I don't know it felt weird and like yeah oh, it's a cursed blade because it was given as a promise and then he broke the promise. So it's I was like I don't know it felt like there was a lot of I uh, I you know listen, that's what I'm saying. I, I, like I, I wish there was more. Uh, I mean I I don't wish there was more. Um, sure. but like, have you, I don't think you've read, uh, the wheel of time books. I have not now by Robert Jordan. I mean, there's, there are, you measure them in feet on the bookshelf, right. Rather than right. They're, they're huge books and they're too long and they should have been edited down, but you like, there's not a whole lot in that series where you're like, boy, I wish this was like explained a little bit better. Um, I just, I just, fantasy series are long and big and bloated for a reason when you're world building and Rick is world building. I mean, even though he has this like set of facts, he is world building. So there are these questions, but yeah, I did like that moment where Percy realizes in book five of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, Percy realizes that he's not the hero of this story, right? It's not about him, um, which I, but it also is because he's the hero who makes a choice but he's not the hero who saves the day. Right. But the whole thing is about him being, he thought he was the, like the, the hero in the prophecy. And I don't, I mean, I also don't think Luke's a hero, right? I don't think Luke's a hero. I don't think that, I mean, Percy realizes that he does something. I'm not saying Percy doesn't do anything, but right. He is not the, the, the figure central to everything. And I'm kind of surprised that they were like, Oh, Percy, let's make you a God. But like not, I don't know Annabeth or anybody else. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I yeah, I, I, I was dissatisfied. Yeah, it was like kind of in. It's what you expect, but not really what you want. Like, I don't know. Maybe not expect, but you're like, this makes sense. But I don't. I don't particularly like it. Yeah. Um, it also felt like there was just a little bit of like trying to be like, oh, here's the twist that you didn't see coming. Um, and again, it didn't feel necessarily earned in this book. Um, so 
So yeah, well, it sounds like we're in agreement that we were kind of a, a bit dissatisfied with how this how this series ended. Any thoughts about the series as a whole? Um, I know we've harped on this book, and we'll spend some more time talking about more of these scenes in the book. But I'm I'm curious now that we have a again with the knowledge that there's now a sixth book that continues this series with and a seventh book coming out next year. I think there might even be a whole trilogy coming. Um, really? Okay. Wow. And then of course um, there's the whole other, right. Percy, what is it? What is it? The like the heroes of Olympus, the heroes of Olympus. So there's yeah, like, yeah. there's, it's not like this is goodbye. Uh, right. With Percy. Right. Uh, It'll be goodbye uh, for our podcast yes. uh, for the time being, but uh, I am curious, though. Yeah, what do you think about the series, especially now that the the TV show um, has come out, um, and and we we've seen the reworking of the first book in film. Um, I'm curious what what you think about this series as a whole. I liked. Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I. I guess this is me. <laughs> I guess this is me not saying saying I don't really like it. I like I like the first book, you know, because it was yeah. it was like it was it was fun, right? It was there was a lot more sort of whimsy, you know. We ride a zebra to Vegas, like I, you know, do something goofy, like I kill my algebra teacher, like you know, it's like it was it was funny, it was it was episodic, which we talked about, we didn't like. I liked that it was clearly mapped on to things like the Odyssey. Um, the second book, I thought was I thought it was fun too. I mean it was a little it felt a little more disjointed, I think. Um and less like a quest because they're like you know they're they 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 know they're looking for Grover and Polyphemus, but they're not exactly sure what that means. The third book I know neither of us really liked. The fourth book got dark. Um and so it it felt kind of like and I know this, we we say this a million times, but to compare it to like at the Harry Potter books, I mean there is sort of a growing up, um, because yeah. you know now Percy's older, um, things are getting heavier. There's 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 more romance, but also the themes are getting darker. Right, it's the first time we see Half Blood Camp Half Blood, uh, kids die, um, but I I still like the fourth book more than the third book, yeah. and then this one, you know it's you sort of knew what you were getting from that opening scene, right? It felt kind of like a, a James Bond movie where they like sneak onto the cruise ship. Um, and there's like this explosion and like, there's confusion over like where the top, like, you know, what, what things have been like primed to blow up. And, you know, so, you know, there's action right from the start. Um, and then, you know, death right at the start, but it's, I don't know. It, it, there didn't seem to be a whole lot of like, development or narrative arc it was confusing with the like the sort of jumping back and forth through time through all these visions i'm not sure if we can see like some sort of like narrative narratological scheme right is this like you know something like ovid's metamorphoses where you've got different you know things put in the mouths of different narrators and we're sort of moving through time or odysseus recounting his tales this is probably me overreading it um, I just, you know, just these flashbacks. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of flashbacks and a lot of backstory all at once. Um, sure. Trying to rehabilitate Luke too. Yeah. I, which, I guess yeah. to sort of answer your question in, in short, I didn't think there was that much character development or much narrative yes. arc. Yeah. I, I, I left the end of the series thinking, how has Percy changed? Like what was kind of Percy's like emotional arc and like, I I don't know. Like, is Percy all that different than he was in the first book, or is it just kind of the same kid, just like growing up a little bit, um, each each time? Like, yeah, what is the arc for for Percy? And I I I don't know that I I see it. Um, listeners, let let us know if if we're missing something here. But again, it just kind of felt like a, a lot more of the same. Like he's a little bit older, but it's kind of the same. Percy and he's not necessarily changing all that much and his views aren't necessarily changing all that much. It's just kind of the, the same character holding on to the same, you know, core beliefs. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I think, you know, the, the romance with Annabeth a little bit reflects this where like, I think we're hinted at like, Oh, maybe there is a change. Like, you know, 
Percy and Annabeth have been kind of paired together for all of these books, but maybe this isn't actually where this is going. And it's like, oh no, actually it is absolutely where it's going, which, you know, again, uh, you know, dear listener, we realize these books are meant for, for middle schoolers. And so, you know, we definitely have this in mind. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we wanted more and maybe that's just because we're, uh, two men in our thirties reading these books for the first time, but I mean, I, um, I just a, a final thought on this, you know, the sort of lack of Percy's change, right? The last line of the book is for once I didn't look back, right? Him and Annabeth are running down the hill from camp half blood. But I think Percy is defined in the first book as somebody who never looks back because he's always changing from one school to another school. He never makes friends. He never has connections. He's just always sort of marching on to the next thing. Right. And I think that, I mean, the point is he's not looking back longingly at camp half blood because he's found his place in the world, but it's sort of that line defines him at the beginning of the book. Right. So it's, you know, yeah exactly like you know the the like change in this book like in this series is like percy coming to terms with him being the son of a god right but that basically happens kind of by the end of book two you know you know he meets tyson and he's like oh man there are other ones and you kind of get an echo of this at the end too and he and his dad are fishing he's like i guess i gotta get you know introduce you to all of your other siblings and Percy's like are you joking i can't tell but like i don't don't know it's like percy like coming into his own as a demigod happens really early in the series and it's not like we finally like he finally embraces his power and he finally like come to term with it it's like yeah he gets like new water powers each book but like he's kind of solid in who he is i feel like at this point and maybe like the conflict is like oh what girl do i like and stuff like that but yeah I don't know. I was, I was disappointed in that. And again, like him not choosing Im- immortality, like, isn't like necessarily like we would expect him to like, he gets offered it while I'm like, obviously he's not going to take it. So it's not even like he was like afraid of death all of this time. And he's like, no, I choose a mortal life sort of, sort of thing. Um, again, just kind of a, an interesting choice um, here from Percy. I mean, not an interesting choice, I suppose, actually. is the, uh, Just, yeah. Well, do we, want to, do we want to jump back into the book now that we've kind of let our feelings about the series be known? Yeah. Um, so I think there were, I think there were some nice moments in the book. Yeah. Um, obviously this book, you know, as I, I as I predicted, uh, this book is engaging uh, with the Iliad, right? We finally get this connection to Achilles, right? We find out that Cronus is invulnerable because Luke has dipped his body in the river Styx. Um, and so Percy is kind of presented with this choice, like, do I make myself invulnerable like Cronus in the same, you know, in order to fight him? Which again, talking about like choices that, don't end up being really choices where it's like, Oh, like this is going to be bad. You're going to be cursed. And he's like, whatever. And he does it and doesn't actually really hurt him all that much Um, set up in the book. Right. But they meet Achilles actually by the river sticks. Right. And he says, you know, beware. I told Luke not to do this. You shouldn't do it. Um, And, you know, the, again, from the first book we've been, you know, there's going to be a second Trojan war. There's going to be another Achilles. Um, you know, this is something that we've we see in ancient literature too. This is kind of, um, you know, set up in, for example, the Aeneid, uh, which is largely, you know, modeled on uh, first the Odyssey and then the Iliad. And there is this kind of there's going to be a second Trojan War. There's going to be a second Achilles. Um, there's you know ancient precedent for kind of repeating the Trojan War in new turf, which we get in uh, this book. Um, Sam, what did you think of the engagement with the Iliad? Did you see much in terms of like actually picking up pieces from the epic poem other than the fact that we have this Achilles-like hero um, in Percy and also kind of Luke slash Kronos? Yeah, I mean, I was wondering about this the whole time I was reading the book because 
you know, I, I knew your predictions, right. That we were going to get the Iliad and I, right. I was a little skeptical. Um, but as soon as they were, they were like on the cruise ship, like blowing stuff up and fighting from the first, I was like, Oh, Sam was right. This is definitely, <laughs> this, well, this is just going to be about fighting. Um, and yeah, so I, I, the whole time I was reading, I was like, I was like, what am I missing? Cause you're, you're more of an Iliad guy than I am. Um, sure. you're more familiar with the sort of the nuances. I mean, the, 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 the big thing that jumped out at me aside from Achilles, I didn't really like the Achilles scene. I, I didn't really like the dipping in the sticks thing. Um, but that's, you know, that's not part of the, I mean, it, it's an aspect of the Iliad, but it's not like what the Iliad's about, right? What the Iliad's about is the disagreement between Achilles and Agamemnon. Yes. Um, and we get that, of course, with Clarice and the disagreement over the, was it a gold-plated chariot or something? Um, right? The House of Ares, they decide they're not going to fight. And right. then, of course, at the end, we get this, uh, the, the the ruse, um, right, with Selena Beauregard uh, dressed right. as Clarice. Uh, so that was the big... And I, I, yeah, I'm happy to talk more about those scenes because yeah, I've got, I've got things to say. But th that that was like the big. Is there more? Like, was there more sort of like low key back and forth stuff? I was trying to map the like various like waves of of people coming in to sort of like help, and then like boom, the like party centaurs show up. Like, I don't think. I mean, that's sort of part of the the like epic cycle where you get these different groups that sort of come in and reinforce. Right during the war, but not, not in Homer's Iliad itself. Right. Uh, yeah. I was surprised at how, again, you know, our critique of the third book was we felt like it engaged very shallowly with mythology. And I felt like the, the engagement with the Iliad here was really shallow. It was Achilles and, you know, his, his famed, you know, invulnerability, which isn't actually in the Iliad itself. Right. Uh, right. We get the story of um, his mother, Thetis, tr uh, dipping him in the stips, sticks by, you know, his ankle. We get that from an unfinished poem of the, the Roman poet uh, Statius, uh, who you're, you may not be familiar with. He, he's he's lesser known, you know, a Roman poets like Virgil. Uh, but if you've read Dante's Inferno, he is. Uh, Dante's guide through uh, uh, purgatory. Uh, so you may have met him there. Uh, but, you know, th there's an unfinished poem, uh, the Achillea, that is about, you know, kind of uh, Achilles before the Trojan War, largely. Um, I love and, it. I It's only like, it's a little over a book long, I think. Yeah, it's like, it's, yeah, a book and a I bit. love it. I think it's great. I'm not, uh, you know, Statius wrote another epic poem called the Thebaid which I'm less into. I mean, there's a, there's a creepy scene with Julius Caesar, like yeah. eating brunch amongst the like field of corpses. Uh, so maybe that tickles your fancy, but I like the accolade. So it's, I, yeah, I like yeah, that. You know, I mean, yeah. Famously from, from that book, you know, Achilles dresses as a woman in an attempt to avoid the Trojan war. This is also where we get, uh, you know, his instruction by Chiron. So a lot of kind of important, like, you know, images that we associate with Achilles come from this unfinished poem. But, you know, as, as Dr. Sam said, the Iliad is focused on this conflict between, you know, the leader of the Greeks and, you know, Achilles, the greatest hero of the Greeks, um, and really only focuses on a very short period near the end of the war. Uh, right. The Iliad takes place over. I don't know. Do you know how do you remember how many days the Iliad takes place over? People disagree, but it's, you know, I think it's like somewhere between like four days and like two weeks kind of thing. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's, it's not it's, it's, it's about a week, maybe. Right. So when you think of the Trojan War, you think of the Trojan horse as a way to, you know, the Iliad um, doesn't have really any of that it has a very specific scene and the most one of the most famous moments in this you know achilles no longer is willing to fight for the greeks and the greeks start losing and then achilles is you know um beloved patroclus leads the greek army disguised in achilles's armor which is the scene that we get um in this book um but other than that i was kind of disappointed that there wasn't more engagement um 
with it. I also, I don't know if you, you did this. Do you know how many chapters are in this book? I hope there's 24. There's 23, which I found so disappointing, you know, um, you know, ancient literature loves to play with, you know, replicating, uh, you know, imitating previous works by, you know, their structure. So again, famously the Aeneid, um, Virgil's famous Roman poem about the Roman hero Aeneas who escapes the Trojan war and ends up kind of founding Rome or founding the you know the people who eventually go on the proto romans yeah yeah Yeah. exactly um you know it is 12 books long and half of it is based on the odyssey half of it's based on the iliad or you know inspired by it and you know it's it's half of the length of both of those homeric poems which are both 24 books long so we have 24 books of homer and 12 books um in the aeneid by uh, virgil so there's you know playing around with numbers and i i could not believe that there were only 23 chapters in this book the more that Um, i think about this though i think they're actually this may be something rick might be onto something because as you know some people think that is it book 10 of the iliad Uh, that is true they say book 10 Maybe it's not real. And, and, and people say the same thing about um, Odyssey 24. That's true. Right? So perhaps there are only 23 books in the Iliad and 23 books in the Odyssey, just as there are 23 chapters in Percy Jackson, The Olympians, The Last Olympian. Let us know by sending us an email to allroadspod at gmail.com. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I was surprised that there was less of an engagement there. And it, it is interesting that there are kind of multiple Achilles figures in this work. Clarice's Achilles, Percy's Achilles. We have Achilles Achilles and Kronos is kind of Achilles too, because they, you know, they compare Percy to the defender of Troy in the book. So Percy's also kind of set up as a Hector figure who's the the Trojan counterpart to Achilles in the Iliad. Um, so it is kind of, it is kind of this odd this odd thing where there's like kind of not a commitment to like, are we reperforming the Trojan war or not? Cause we say we are um, right. They, they, they explicitly talk about it. They're like, it's going to be like the Trojan war. Right. <laughs> and it's not, and it's not really all that, you know, I, I know, I know we're ragging on this book a lot, but there's a moment, you know, where Percy goes to the rivers in, uh, you know, New York. And I'm like, Oh, there's a very famous scene in the Iliad where Achilles you know, in the rage, you know, Patroclus, you know, his beloved puts on armor, leads the Greek army in and it's killed. Um, and it is, you know, devastating to Achilles. You know, he kind of blames himself for, you know, not fighting and allowing his, you know, uh, beloved Patroclus to die. And he goes on this kind of rampage and in the rampage, he gets to the river Scamander and the river God is like, I'm a river God. Don't fight me. And Achilles says, screw you. I am going to fight you. And, you know, Achilles famously fights a river and almost wins, almost drowns. Like, um, but, you know, it's, it's a very great moment in the Iliad. And I was like, oh, we're going to get this. You know, Percy is going to the rivers of New York and he just kind of bribes them to take out some baddies. And I was, I was disappointed. I was like, oh, this is an obvious moment for Percy to fight the river. Um, and again, th- th- there felt like there were opportunities to kind of, you know, have these important moments. Um, I think obviously the other moment that I kind of wish that we got at the end of the Iliad, Achilles kills Hector and defiles his body, right? The Greek hero kills the Trojan hero um, who killed Patroclus and then defiles his body. Um and the king of Troy kind of sneaks out and sneaks into the Ro- the Greek camp and goes to Achilles and begs for, you know, the body of his son to be returned. And it's kind of like very vulnerable moment. And, you know, it's, it's great. It's such a powerful moment of the Iliad because there's this reconciliation and there's this hospitality that's shown between enemies and, you know, Achilles's wrath is kind of abated in that moment. Um, and I kind of wondered if, you know, in a different version of this book, we could have had something similar happen with the body of Luke and Hermes 
uh, or, or, or something like that, or have this sort of moment with, with another of these, you know, demigods and, and a God or something like that. Um, again, just kind of feels like a missed opportunity to have one of these kind of humanizing moments. It might've actually helped us earn the ending that we got in this book. Yeah. Cause I mean, the, I love that scene. I mean, that, that the thing with, with prime in book 24 of the Iliad, um, because it's, it's, you know, as you know, because you think a lot about the Iliad, right? I mean, this poem is about um, it's it's not about the Trojan War; it's about Achilles being mad, right? Right. Main and Iade they are right. The be- very yeah. beginning of the poem, right? The the main end is the wrath, right? right? Seeing goddess about the wrath of Achilles. It's not telling me about the Trojan War. It's not right. about like let's talk about Achilles. It's about the wrath of Achilles. And so the the, the end of the book or the end of the poem is about Achilles sort of coming off of that wrath. And then there's a, a couple of weird episodes during the funeral games of Patroclus where there's like opportunities for like future tensions and wraths and, and Achilles like um, sort of uh, stops these before they can sort of escalate. And so that scene is important because it, it, we sort of come down off of the, the killing high um, and maybe sort of helps us like reintegrate into society from like from being sort of at the trojan war and yeah we didn't get that it's and it's it's also a great scene because it it it, we we look at achilles we see achilles right he his mother is present um in the book but his father is not and so there's this this definitely this father-son conversation between priam and achilles and and priam is like look i'm old and i lost my son i just want to bury him um and think about your father, right? If you died, and Achilles knows he will die, uh, if you died, wouldn't your old, your aging father want your body back? And so there is this father-son dynamic that should have been there because this book is sort of all about, this series is sort of all about father-son dynamics, right? It's about right. children and their parents. Right. So I agree that it's a, it's a missed, a missed opportunity. Um, especially because there is like, there's a lot of fighting, as you said, right? There's these these long scenes, yeah. and it's the scale of the violence is 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 pretty big. So, it would be nice to sort of have that that sort of coming down instead of you know almost immediately transitioning into this like celebration where like they're offering Percy, um, you know, divinity, right? Which seems like it's pretty quick. Yeah, I'm curious about that that moment where they offer Percy immortality. Again, going back to the character of Achilles in the Iliad, he's kind of special because he's the one hero, hero with kind of two fates that he gets to choose between, right? He can choose to live a kind of short um, life and be kind of remembered forever in legend for his actions in the Trojan War, or he can choose a long life of obscurity and return home and kind of live with his dad. Um, and of course, Achilles chooses the short life um, in the end, right? He dies at Troy um, at a young age. He does not see his father again, uh, but is remembered forever as the greatest of the Greek heroes. Do you feel like Percy is given that choice here at the end in some way? I was trying to decide if this is, this offer of immortality is in any way an attempt to pose a similar choice to Percy. My inclination is probably no, it feels different, uh, but no. I don't know if you think differently. No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, for one, if we think in sort of meta terms, we only have the story of Achilles. You know, we have it in the Iliad, but I mean, the story of right. Achilles is only a story that people sing about because Achilles opted to fight, right? right? So his immortality is getting, I mean, he he exchanges his life, you know, treating him as a real person. He exchanges his life for the Kleos, this, you know, sung fame. Right. Um, where like, we're teaching him in universities, you know, 3,200 years later. Right. He's immortalized um, in, in text, in oral tradition. Right. And Percy uh, already has that. Yeah, I mean, Percy doesn't have to make that decision because he already has that. Um, 
but I think that's, you know, that, again, that's, that's meta. I mean, my problem with that whole choice, and this is, was sort of one of the things that sat uneasily with me in the sort of projecting the Iliad onto this cast of characters is of course it's Clarice who is the Achilles. Right. Right. I'd like to talk about that some, I'm sure you've got plenty to say about it. I mean, it's, I feel like they get it kind of wrong in the fact that, I mean, in Achilles gets sort of a bad rap. I think, you know, he, he comes off as this like whiny bitch in the Iliad because right in, in the poem, uh, you know, the the Greek leaders have their war booty and, and some of their war booty are, are are humans, right? Captive slave girls. And one of Agamemnon, who's the, the leader of the Greek expedition, one of his slave girls, he has to return because her father is a, a priest, um, the priest of Apollo. He turns to Apollo. There's a plague. So the only way to make the plague go away is to give this girl back. And in yeah. order to sort of get his fair share he needs to take someone else's you know war booty and so he takes one of achilles's slave girls but it's not just greed it is petty but it's also i mean it's about the the society it's about what the society valued and the sort of the team a the honor right if right. if he did not demand some sort of compensation he would have like literally been less of a man. Right. Again, this goes back to, you know, we talk about with like Greek religion that it's very transactional and, you know, there's very much transactional nature to just like power in the Greek world. Like you, the amount of honor and like respect that you command is kind of directly proportional to the amount of stuff you have, at least in the girl, at least in the Homeric world. Right. The more stuff you have proves that you command a certain amount of position and have certain amount of excellence, you know, Arate, like, you know, within, you know, you're, you know, the, the military. And so, you know, being an aristocrat in the Homeric world is proved by, you know, how big your treasure room is and how many slaves that you have. And so, yeah, by taking it away, you are kind of not only, you are, you know, diminishing, you know, Achilles social capital um, in that moment. It's a, it's a demotion in it, in, you know, in addition just to, you know, perceived as unfair in the moments. And we don't get that with Clarice, right? I mean, the, it's Percy like walks into the big house and they're all like standing around the ping pong table um, arguing. And it's not even clear what, what everyone's arguing over. Right. So the, right. the stakes are low. Um, but Clarice, because she is not operating in the, you know, bronze age, heroic Mediterranean world, has a lot less at stake, right? She right. is just petty, right? She just wants a little bit more, you know, recognition, I think. Yeah. And so the decision to withdraw the Ares, um, you know, the house of Ares from this battle. Um, I'm curious to, to hear what Ares would, you know, thinks about this. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not exactly the same as Achilles withdrawing the Myrmidon. So that's, that was a problem for me. Yeah. Um, the sort of middle stage in the the Iliad, right? I mean, the, the Myrmidons withdraw, the Greeks start losing. Um, but we see Achilles, right? I think it's not having the embassy, which is one of my favorite parts yeah. of the Iliad. Um, in book nine of the 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 Iliad, a couple of the Greek heroes, three slash two, right? The famous dual right. problem. Um, right, Odysseus, right. um, Phoenix and Ajax is Ajax to go. I can't remember if it's Ajax. I think that it sounds is. right. I think maybe it, I think it is, but they go and they, they try to bring Achilles back. And so, you know, Agamemnon is promising to give him all this stuff. And he just has to sort of acknowledge that Agamemnon's still the man, but we see, and Achilles says no, but we see Achilles in a different light. Right. Cause he, when, when they show up, he's like, he's like doing some rap. He's like he's composing, you know, or singing sort of epic poetry on a, a turtle shell lyre, which is dope. Um, but there's this again, there's this sort of humanizing moment where you realize that Achilles, who is in some ways sort of the manifestation of physical violence, you know, he has this other side. Yeah. We don't get that at all with Clarice. 
And then of course, at the end, right? I mean, the, the sort of pin, pivotal moment where, which you talked about earlier, Sam, where uh, Patroclus wears Achilles' armor and goes out and fights and this rallies the, the Greeks. He does this with Achilles' permission, right? Achilles is part of it. He says, just, you know, don't go too far. Right. Um, and there's, of course, this relationship between Patroclus and Achilles. And Achilles knows that if he goes back out and fight, he's going to die, right? This is that, 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 that choice. Right. And so it's only because it's Patroclus that's dead does he go back out, right? If it's just right. like, you know, Tom from, you know, outside of Athens, like he he wouldn't have gone. And so we have this, you know, this, this, this ruse. I actually was, I was caught off guard. I didn't see the, the, the trick coming because they had, we were so far from the Iliad. I wasn't thinking in terms of the deception, sure. um, but, but we come back. Right. And we think it's, um, uh, Clarice. Clarice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally blank there. Uh, but it's, it's Selena Beauregard. Right. And I actually got goosebumps when, when, when she was, I was, which was weird. Cause I didn't have like an emotional response to anything else, but I, I felt goosebumps, um, when she was, you know, revealed, but, it, it's just it's she didn't have the same connection with Clarice. She right. obviously did it without the permission of Clarice. And when then Clarice goes out to fight, she needs to know that she's going to die, and then she needs to die. Right. Yeah, and I, I felt the same way too. I think there's also just like the embassy to Achilles is an important missing piece because you just kind of forget about Clarice and you know can't the 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 you know Ares cabin. It's just like they show up and you're like, oh yeah. I forgot about them. And yeah. then it's like, oh, there's this trick. And, you know, in book nine of the Iliad too, there, you know, when they send the embassy to Achilles, be like, here's how Agamemnon's going to make everything right. If you just come back and Achilles also just goes on this kind of anti-war kind of explanation and basically says, why are we even here? Like, why have all these people died for what? Don't we already have plenty of, like, we already have all this stuff. Why don't we just go home? Like, it's not my fight. Like, why do I care about Helen? Why do I, you know, the Trojans never did me any harm. Like, why am I here? Like, let's just go home and like, be happy. Like we're, we're, you know, it is this kind of interesting, you know, how sincere is Achilles because he doesn't really leave. He kind of sticks around, but you know, it is this kind of interesting, like, yeah, you know, him actually wrestling with his choice. Right. And then of course, Patroclus dying and whatnot. But again, you're, you're constantly being reminded that like Achilles is not here, right. That is kind of always in the foreground, but again, here it is kind of like out of the blue. It's like when the centaurs show up, it's like, Oh yeah, I forgot about those guys. I'm so glad they're here to help out. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's super handy. Cause we just got a prophecy that only this one specific person can kill this dragon. And it turns out here she is perfect timing um it, it is yeah it feels yeah very abrupt and again is not yeah i felt the same way too i was like how is clarice connected to serena beauregard like what is what is that that connection that i'm supposed to be like whoa like this is big um and then she was the spy right selena beauregard right right, and right. Was, yeah in a twist uh that again also is not you know really I don't know. Maybe it is signaled more. I didn't, I didn't see it in the book, but it is like, yeah, it's not much of a betrayal. It's like, when did we la when did we first meet her? I I guess probably last book. I think she may have been mentioned in one of the earlier ones, but she, she maybe she has, I mean like her biggest thing, I think in book four, right. Is well, she's like, she's like dating. Right. Um, the Hephaestus uh, kid. Yeah. Uh, who um, dies in the first chapter. Right. Uh, Charlie. I believe, but yes, but yeah, she, she does. She does like cabin inspections, right? She was like inspecting their cabin once. I think that was like the biggest role she played. Like, yeah. Charles Beckendorf. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. Again, I feel like we're running into a similar problem that we had with the third book and talking about this fifth book in that there are obviously allusions to Greek mythology here, but the connections are weak and they're not, overly fleshed out or don't pay off you know we don't have to talk much about this but you know pandora's 
pithos, you know, <laughs> appears in this book, but doesn't really do anything, right? We have Prometheus, he's kind of the envoy of uh Kronos, and he's like, you know, here's your white flag. If you let go of hope, if you release hope from from the jar, we'll know that you've surrendered. And not much happens with that. He he eventually gives it to Hestia, who is the last Olympian in this book, uh, you know, to keep hope warm by the hearth. Um, but again, it's it's an illusion that doesn't really go anywhere um, in the book itself. No, but he but I was ecstatic to hear that he got it right. That's a jar. Right. Right. And not a box, not um, a box. Because the jar, right, and again, this goes into the way I read everything, right? The jar, it, it represents the womb because um, a, a jar is sort of womb-shaped and a box is not. Um, but it, like, represents, again, this anxiety. Like, everything bad comes out of women, right? Literally, this anxiety over reproductive control. I read, I mean, I read this everywhere in, you know, especially early uh, Greek myth. But sure, I was just, you know, I don't think that's, at play here, but just the fact that it's like not a box and it's a jar. Um, I just huge for you. I, I, I heard, I was like, wow, well done. Like, well done. Um, so yeah, but uh, yeah, it was just another thing that was just, I don't know. I was, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to read this series if it was 15 books, at least as it's written. But like, if there had been like this whole thing, about Selena Beauregard where we would see her and she's like waffling and trying to figure out what to do. And we like, if she, if she had like had her own storyline that was like woven into it, we understood like why she was a spy and then how she has like these like mixed feelings when she has this relationship with Beckendorf, right? Again, she was sort of like drawn off by Luke and, you know, there was just more, more sort of filling it out. Again, I know this, this is a book for middle schoolers, and that's not us. Um, but I don't know. I think because I think the I mean the 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 story's good, but of course the story is not necessarily Rick's, right? It's you know that's the benefit of of leaning heavily on this this age old mythological content is that you know you know there's a good frame there, you know the the bones are good. Um, but just everything just happens so quick. And uh, yeah, I don't know. No one seems yeah. to really care about the guys that die except for Selena, but she's already betrayed the camp. Like, yeah, I think interestingly, we have, I mean, you know, Charles Beckendorf and, you know, Selena Beauregard, you know, are, you know, two people who die in this book but it, it feels it feels different than the previous book where you felt here are all of the different people who die i don't know maybe it's just because so many die in this book but like the weight of it feels lesser because there's a lot of not naming people i feel like uh like i think there's a lot more weight given to the specific people who fall in book four that isn't necessarily given in in book five um yeah Listen, I'm sorry. I wish we had more positive things to say about this book. <laughs> um, Don't hate us. You know, maybe the sixth book will be better. Listen, send us an email and let us know if we should be reading uh, the sixth book. Currently, this is the end of our plans in terms of reading Percy Jackson. But um, if people are interested in hearing what happens in the sixth book and we feel like uh, Rick Riordan uh, redeems um, the ending um, of the original you know, uh, the original series. Uh, let us know if you'd be interested in that. I'm, I'm, in, I'm just because he's in college or like he's applying to college. That just feels a like sort of surreal, but also like a little bit closer to home, maybe. For <laughs> maybe, <laughs> for, I guess we're closer day. to college than high school. I, I mean, I guess we're just going to skip his sophomore, junior, and senior year in high school. Uh, which, yeah, nothing important happens. I don't know. Maybe they cover that in the the heroes. Uh, 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 probably. Series. Probably. Um, all right. Any final thoughts on this book, Sam? No, I just, I, I yeah. <laughs> the more we talk about, it, the more I dislike it. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Which, 
I know this is ah, this is uh I think some of our 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 listeners are gonna be disappointed in in, in that uh that reading but it's yeah again it's it was written for middle schoolers and we're you know we're unfairly uh you know we're like well this isn't quite as good as the Iliad um which is you know, that's 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 uh it's tough it's tough to be as good as the Iliad yeah, not much as um, as good as the Iliad. Let's be honest. What about the Odyssey? Plenty, yeah. Are you are you an Odyssey guy or an Iliad guy? I'm an Iliad guy, but listen, the Odyssey yeah. the Odyssey is also good. Listen, I can't. Yeah. You know, it's like asking to pick between your chill children. It's the Iliad, but I can't. You know, I can't pick. Right, right. Yeah, I, I like the Iliad better too. Well, if uh, do you have any <laughs> any any last yeah, as by way of a transition. Bye. Um, <laughs> any, 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 any last thoughts, Sam? Um, we're going to start watching. So we're, we're going to be recording these, uh, well in, you know, about a month before we're releasing them. Um, so we're, we're reading this. We've just finished the fifth book. We've just read all five. We've watched the two movies. Um, and the TV show is going to be coming out this week. So by the time you're listening to this, um, we're going to release this episode the same week as the the final TV show episode, um, but we're we're having recorded this without knowledge of what the TV show is going to look like. So uh, keep listening, and, and maybe we'll have a different. Uh, we'll be singing a different tune um, on the uh, the the responses to the the TV show episodes by the time you listen to this. But any last last thoughts, Sam? Before we close it out. No, I think I would just say. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, We're so glad that we have a medium where we can share our love of classics with people all over the world, including Belgium. Uh, If you've enjoyed the podcast, we'd love it if you would leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. uh, That just helps people find the show. Uh, And you can also email us at allroadspod at gmail.com. Uh, let us know your thoughts on the show. Let us know what you want us to do next. And let us know, is there something that we're missing about the last Olympian and the series, uh, the Percy Jackson series? Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. I also want to hear if people think Die Hard 3 is a Christmas movie or if that's an over an overreach. Um, I'll rewatch it again and I'll I'll get back to you guys. But I think there are like Christmas, subtle Christmas uh, sort of motifs. I think there's some Christmas music in it as well. Um, but yeah, let us know about that. Allroadspod at gmail.com. Um, this has been Dr. Sam Kindick and Sam Hahn. Remember, guys, if all roads lead to Rome, why not take a detour with us? Bye. Bye. <laughs>